Hello and welcome to the Farcast. I'm Alex Helmbrecht and I'm joined here with my co-host Daniel Binkard. And our guest for the day is Dr. Rob Stack, Professor and Department Chair of Mathematics. Now, Rob, all three of your degrees uh, deal with mathematics from the University of South Dakota. Are you originally from South Dakota? And talk a little bit about your collegiate experience. Yeah, I'm uh, originally from South Dakota. Grew up in a real small town called Tabor, South Dakota. Uh, Vermilion, South Dakota is where the University of South Dakota is, and Tabor is about 45 minutes west of Vermilion. Uh, so I was familiar with the surroundings, familiar with the area. I actually had one older brother that went to the University of South Dakota as well. So he kind of paved the, paved the way for me, if you will, as far as going to the University of South Dakota. Uh, I guess on a side note, too, I had three other siblings that went to South Dakota State, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the experience there was, was great. Um, it, it, was, it was kind of one of those things where I, I really didn't look into another college as far as where it is I wanted to go. And I think a big part of that were, was the, the mathematics faculty that were there. And they're, they're really the ones that kind of um, kind of lured me in, if you will. And I had a great experience on the mathematics side. Uh, math education is what it is I, I had as an undergraduate degree. Did my student teaching. Fortunately, where it is that I went to high school, and so uh, it really wasn't frowned upon back then. And so the nice thing about that is I knew a lot of the teachers because many of them were my own teachers. And so we, we were able to uh, uh, have that experience. I was able to have that experience there. And, um, and then I kind of I went straight into uh, my master's degree, right, straight out from, from teaching um, or from the undergraduate degree. And um, uh, basically, I wanted to, to kind of still be part of the the coaching aspect of things. Uh, I played baseball at the University of South Dakota as an undergrad. And um, once I was done with that, I, I really kind of wanted to be part of that. And so when I was working on my master's degree, I was also an assistant coach or a GA, if you will, for the, for the baseball team. So was math something you always wanted to do from, a, from an early age? Yeah, it, it really was. It's kind of one of those things where it, it was, was a, a passion of mine from, from kind of from day one. And, but I, I couldn't really put a a pinpoint where or when it was that that kind of light bulb turned on, if you for use of a better phrase. Uh, but it was always really kind of easy for me. And um, I think because of the high school teachers that I had, um, especially early on junior high and then first part of high school, they really kind of set the tone also and just kind of carried on to my, my college professors. And, and here we are many years down the road. Great, great. How long have you been here at Shadron and what was your what was your career path that led you to end up here? Yeah, this is my 22nd year here at Chatham State. So I came here in August of 1998. And the career path, it, it really wasn't one, I, I guess, in terms of uh, being in a lot of different places. Right. Um, again, coming out of undergrad, again, went to grad school. Um, and I had just gotten married right after uh, undergrad. And so my wife was working um, as, as a retail store manager in Yankton, South Dakota, uh, which is about 20 minutes from Vermilion. And um, I, I got a job teaching and coaching at a high school just, um, just outside of Sioux Falls. So okay. I had a little bit of a commute there. And that's, that was a small town called Marion, South Dakota. So I spent one year there. And then my wife got transferred to a new store over in Ottumwa, Iowa. And so I was trying to figure out how it is I was going to find a job there. Um, uh, I had a master's degree and just one year of teaching experience. And so I was a lot, basically overqualified for a lot of the high school teaching positions there. Right. And the closest one I had an interview with was 50 miles away. 
from Ottumwa. Uh, and I didn't get the job. And so I thought, well, I'll just go to uh, the G- these job fairs that universities and colleges put on. So I went to a job fair at the University of Northern Iowa. And again, still trying to find a job around Ottumwa. And Burlington, Iowa was the closest that was there. And that was, I think, two hours away as far as a one-way commute. <laughs> and it, it, we knew it just wasn't going to work as far as traveling that amount of distance um, for, for a job. And so, um, again, I was at that job fair and kind of looking around and, uh, again, looking for jobs around it, the Ottumwa area. And I thought, well, just, just for the heck of it, I'll, I'll talk to some of these Texas schools. Um, and there were several of them there. I think probably anywhere from eight to ten Texas school districts were there. And the reason for that is I had a brother that was stationed at uh, Fort Hood in Colleen, Texas. Um, I had a brother-in-law that was in San Antonio in my one of um, my college roommate, my senior year in college, was in Houston. And so we knew some people down there, at least, and, and had family and so on. And I thought, well, okay, well, why not look into it and see what it is that they might have to offer? And so at these job fairs, of course, the Texas schools, they're, they're pretty aggressive as far as trying to attract Midwest teachers just because of work ethic and things like that. And I had um, talked to a school district in San Antonio, a school district in uh, College Station and a school district in Rosenberg, Texas, just southwest of Houston. And I had, I had been talking to them. They, they give you a, a pretty extensive interview. And then the school district, which was the north side school district in San Antonio, had asked me to come down for an interview about a week later. And then um, I hadn't heard from any of the other ones. I thought, well, since I'm going to be down there, I may, may, may as well be aggressive on this and, and call down and see if I can at least get an interview since I was going to be in the area. And so I got a hold of the one that's in Rosenberg, Texas. And um, before I left San Antonio to fly over to Houston, they offered me a job there at um, John Marshall High School. It was a new school, about two years old, 3,000 students. The only thing that they didn't have was any coaching. And I really wanted to, to do some coaching when I was down there. And so I went over to, um, to Rosenberg, uh, the following day, and and uh, this was a Friday, if I remember correctly, and I I talked with the school principal or the school principal. I did not talk with the head football coach because he was not in because um, he was a new new head football coach there, so he was not there at the time. But I was able to talk to him on a Saturday morning, and so I talked to both of them. Uh, we got back to Iowa on that Sunday, and um, got a job offer on Tuesday. By that next weekend, we were gone. We yeah. were in Texas. <laughs> and so it was just kind of a weird thing. Uh, we were only down there for two years. Um, it was uh, B.F. Uh, Terry High School in Rosenberg, Texas. We were there for two years. And um, I, I had told the, the math department people in, at the University of South Dakota to keep me in mind if anything ever came open. And so something came open um, at the end, toward the end of my second year as an instructor in the math department there at USD. And so we came back to Vermilion. So I was there for four years, and uh, likewise got got a hold of the the uh, baseball coach, who was also the baseball coach when I was the GA for baseball, and he said, "Yeah, come on board. We'll we'll get things going." And um, unfortunately, in the spring semester of the first year that I was back, he resigned. There was a little altercation that was that was there, and and uh, I became the head baseball coach. Okay, and so I was. Uh, again, full-time instructor in the math department, head baseball coach. And then um, that fall, I, I started taking classes toward a doctorate. And so it just had a whole bunch of stuff going on there. I was there for four years, and that position came open here um, that for, for 90, in 1998. And so right. here I was. 
Um, ironically, it was in the fall of 97, or excuse me, the, um, um, in 1997, the same position had opened up. And that's when Frank Ferguson was here. And he was, I think, still trying to retire at that particular point. And I wasn't far enough along in my dissertation to think that I could at least or could even apply for the job. And, and I was yeah. really didn't know any different that you could certainly apply for jobs without having your dissertation done. And, <laughs> but I didn't know any different. And so I would put it off for a year and the position was open once again. And so uh, um, so here we are 22 years later. Yeah, that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing. I didn't know that, that you had done the same teaching and coaching and then come around to do it again uh, mm-hmm. a few decades later. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those things where um, – it's basically a, a passion. It was, it was kind yeah. of a hobby uh, because at the University of South Dakota, um, again, football is, is kind of the king with regard to that. And so we had very little resources and uh, I didn't go out and, and do any recruiting. It was basically the kids that I knew or knew of in, in some way, shape or form. And, and, and we weren't very good, but we did what it is that we could with, with the resources that we had. Right. Um, and again, here it was, it was kind of a hobby as well as mm-hmm. far as the softball and doing that. Yeah, good stuff. Well, the, yeah, that moved around a lot in the 90s, but you've stayed yeah. put in the 2000s. So that, that's worked out well for Shattered State. Yeah, I think a big part of that is because we had two kids in Texas and then we had two more kids in Vermilion. Okay, we need to raise them someplace. And so we came to Shattered and had two more kids and finished out the whole crew. Yeah. Well, so if you if you ever move again, two more kids will probably come with you. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, R- Rob, you've uh, you've been honored by the the colleges. It's a Teaching Excellence Award nominee twice, uh, and then you won the System Wide Award in two thousand and four. How how rewarding is it to be honored by uh, the institution you work for and your peers uh, through that voting process? But then also talk a little bit about your teaching philosophy with math. Yeah, that's. That was an incredible experience, again, both of those years. Um, having been here for just a short amount of time uh, in the fifth and the sixth year that I was here, um, it was very rewarding in a sense, mostly because it, um, Dr. Fickle had, Dr. Monty Fickle had um, um, nominated me for that in both of those years. And just, just to have that honor in the short amount of time is just absolutely incredible. There's some amazing faculty members here and we have nearly 100 faculty members and to, and to be selected for two consecutive years that's that's pretty humbling for sure uh, and then likewise in, in 2004 um, having the opportunity to be able to be awarded the Nebraska um, award or for the for the state colleges um, that was very overwhelming um, you, you take a look at at the history of that award in terms of the, the, the individual honorees, especially from Shadron State, you have George Watson, you have Lois Veith, you have Barb Limbach, uh, you have Charlene Coates, you have Pat Cruzero, who had all earned um, that award or had all been, um, had uh, won that award prior to me to, to be even mentioned in any, in any sentence with, with those uh, excellent and outstanding faculty is just very, very um, humbling. For sure, yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, the my teaching philosophy is pretty basic. It's pretty simple, especially teaching mathematics. Math math is one of those animals that um, it, it's not for everyone, and uh, to be able to try to relay the information to the students in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can appreciate, um, because if if you can, as an instructor, try to be able to have your students understand that mathematics is part of every 
day living. Every, everything that they do can be associated with mathematics. And, and as simple as just setting your, your, your alarm clock, if they have those anymore, but setting their phones, setting the, the, the clock on their phones for, to get up in the morning or to remind them that you have a meeting or to remind them for whatever type of thing, uh, that math is associated with it. And with, with college students, again, trying to budget, trying to watch their money, again, they have to make sure that they're on top of those things as well. Even though the concepts of math are, are pretty straightforward, it's still mathematics that they have to use. And it, I'm sure many of us have, have come across um, younger people and, and, and possibly college students that if they're working at a fast food place or or at a convenience store, or whatever the case might be, it, sometimes it takes them a little while to count change back to you, and then you, you can see them thinking, trying to, to make sure they get the mm -hmm. get the the numbers right and counting it back to you. Yeah. So if you get a student coming in and they've got to take that required math course, and their their first the thing is, I hate math. What what do you do? Yeah, that's that's one of those things where. You really have to make the math enjoyable, and you have to make it applicable to what it is that they're trying to go into. Um, those students, they oftentimes have a little bit of a block, yeah. uh, and and wherever it came from, it really doesn't matter. But we want to be able to try to make it and present the math in a way that is understandable to them and yeah. something that they can enjoy. If at all possible, I try to incorporate manipulatives into the classroom, so so hands-on type things. And if, if any way possible, try to make it edible math manipulatives. Oh, I use, I use that M works. Yeah, I use M&Ms quite a bit uh, in many of the classes. And it just seems like it, it relaxes them for one. And then second of all, they say, yeah, this stuff can really be used in a lot of different ways. And, and math can be fun. Um, it may not work for all of them. And, we, and I talk about that the first day of class for students that have some challenges with math, where I'm not going to try to turn their entire perspective of math in a 180 to make them love math, but at least gain a, a deeper a deeper understanding, a deeper or a more or a better perspective of what math sure. is. Well, speaking of perspectives, your office perspective and, and your classroom perspective is about to change uh, with the renovation and uh, uh, new construction for the math science building. How excited are you for that? That that building hasn't seen seen much changes since it was uh, constructed in the late '60s. Right. That that to answer that question, it, it's one of those things where you you look around our campus, and our campus has done a, an awesome job as far as improving the facilities that we have. Um, but the math and science building was one of those where it's kind of a patchwork here, patchwork there, and, and things like that. Just because of the nature of the building and the nature of the disciplines inside, it's not like one of those things where it'll, it'll be in the tens of thousands of dollars to be able to fix things. It's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars to fix things. Yeah. And and so now we we are more than ecstatic to to be able to uh, at least have that opportunity to see what this new. Uh, project is going to look like. Um, I think we well we we have um, decided upon what it's going to appear on the outside and what it's going to look like in the in the current structure as they as they renovate the inside of the current structure. Um, I'm really look, looking forward to that piece especially because that's uh, where a lot of our our math courses are going to be. Yeah. Um, again, the new wing that will be on the north side of the building is going to house a lot of the chemistry in the lab area and. Um, Again, any of those students that have gone through there, 
uh, they'll say, yeah, it's, it's, it's past due mm-hmm. and it's, it's time for this to happen. And uh, we're really looking forward to that. Um, there, there's going to be some pains, of course, with, with moving and trying to figure out where it is our classes and how it is we're going to teach our classes. Uh, not so much on the math side, but more so on the science side, especially with the labs. Um, but everybody knows and understands that we're, we're all in this together and we're all there to help each other. A lot of patience is going to be needed for sure. Uh, but by the time it's all said and done, uh, a year and a half, two years down the road, I think we're going to be pretty pleased with what the result will be. Yeah, it'll be a, a crown jewel for the region for sure. Exactly. I, I, Alex and I were in there um, a few weeks ago to do a tour of the place and work on another project. And it's striking how much stuff is going to have to be moved out, at least, again, on the science side. How much do you have to shift around to, to clean out? Right. Uh, on the math side, it, it's pretty minimal. Um, we had a department meeting here uh, earlier today, and we talked about those types of things. Yeah. And uh, we, we have a pretty good plan together um, uh, as far as how we're going to manage that. Uh, we had a, a meeting the first part of February with, with Carrie and with Harry and, and, um, and Todd and, and, and every, everyone that's kind of involved, well, all, all major, major uh, players in all this. And I think we have a pretty good plan set up for, for us to be able to move out. Um, we're, we're, we're just hoping that's going to be smooth, but we, we know it's there's going to be some bumps in there. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what some of those things as far as trying to project in advance. But right. some of that stuff will we'll have to deal with as it as it comes. It helps we've got some pretty good people in those areas to, to help with logistics and everything. Absolutely. You know, you can have a lot more to worry about, but... Yeah, could be could always be worse. Right, <laughs> right. And in math, you love your variables, so there you go. Wow, I had to get one cheesy <laughs> math joke in. So <laughs> that's right. Oh, where are we at here? Softball coach. So school's all-time winningest coach. I like that. Uh, Rob, tell us a little bit about your experience here teaching, uh, coaching softball here at CSC. Yeah, that experience, um, it's, it's one of those where having not ever coached females was definitely a challenge, yeah. especially, well, even up until the last day. Because, uh, again, the females, the, the passion that they have at the collegiate level, it's right up there with, with, with coaching the men. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, but, but you really have to, um, in some ways, you really have to be sure that that everyone understands exactly what it is that you're talking about. Yeah. And, I, and I found that to be definitely helpful on my end um, as far as not only just on the coaching side, but also on the teaching side and then also being, being a, a father and a, and a husband as well. Uh, so that, that is definitely a, a positive byproduct of, of the whole coaching aspect of softball. Um, how it kind of all came about was really unique at the time. And um, it was one of those things where, the the athletic director at the time, Brad Smith, was was um, trying to replace the the first head coach who was here because he left kind of late. Yeah. Uh, I think he left in August and, and maybe just a couple of three weeks before mm-hmm. the, the the fall of 2007 uh, school year was supposed to start. And I know that they did a search and um, uh, it didn't come up as they had hoped that they, that uh, nobody came on board. And uh, Coach Smith had asked me 
if I would be interested in taking it on. And I said, well, I've never coached females before, so that's going to be a challenge. I never coached softball before. I was a baseball guy. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely some, some um, likenesses in both sports for sure. Um, and I said, well, I'll take it for a year and, and we'll see how it goes. And after that first year, the interim tag was taken off and, and um, it ended up being 10 years. Um, not to say that I was, wasn't trying to find or, or trying to have the, have the program in position uh, to be successful, kind of moving out of that. Uh, but it was really a challenge to be able to try to get assistant coaches here and it was kind of a revolving door for, for several years. Yeah. And um, uh, it was kind of one of those things where where I really, and this is, I know, a knock against myself, but I kind of had my own way of, of running things um, just because I was so used to having to run it kind of by myself. Right. Uh, and then having a different assistant coach there every year, it was, it was kind of a challenge. Uh, but some of those assistant coaches were my own players, so they kind of knew – uh, how it is that I ran things, and so they had a pretty good idea and understanding of of how the program was to be run. Um, but there were definitely some challenges. There's no doubt about that. We had some growing pains for sure. Um, but by the time it was all said and done, I, I think the program was was uh, definitely in a, in a good place, and and we had some some good success. and And I hope that the the players that were part of the program when I was coaching, I hope that they learned something not only about softball, but also about relationships, also about themselves, and and also had had grown and matured in a way that that they can be um, productive and, and and they can do great things when they um, when they were beyond Shadron State College. Absolutely. Fun fact: the the first story that I wrote while I was on Shattern State's payroll was your interim announcement. So oh, wow. it, I've always I always remembered that 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 was the first thing I did as a former sports information director was announce that. So uh, yeah, you, do, you did a great job. It was always nice working with you. But but how difficult was it to balance your teaching responsibilities with your coaching responsibilities? And I also know that you also had some driving responsibilities in there as well. You used to drive the, the bus at different times um, f- from game to game because we had some long trips. I remember one oh, to Denver wow. where the coolant kept leaking oh, or something. It was terrible. But uh, anyways, how did you balance all those responsibilities? Right? Well, in, in some, if not many cases, I didn't balance them very well. Um, I, I do know that there were occasions that my students suffered. And, uh, and, and because of that, the the team probably suffered because of that, and probably my family had, had suffered because of that. Uh, and, and it's kind of one of those things where, uh, again, you're trying to do the best that you can with what it is that you've got going on. And I know one thing that uh, that I I know I kind of alluded to this before that I have a challenge to myself doing is trying to offload some of those responsibilities, and I don't do a very good job of that for those for those that know who I am. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where you do what you have to do to try to get your program to where it needs to be. And if driving the bus is what it is to need to do, we'll drive the bus to save some money. And that's basically the reason why I did that. Now, granted, it wasn't probably the smartest thing to do, especially playing, oh, New Mexico Highlands where you have 600 miles coming back or or, or across the the front range of the mountains and you're playing in Mesa and having to come back from Grand Junction. Uh, yeah, probably not too smart. And so in retrospect, kind of looking back that way, yeah, probably not the smartest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Did you have any like a spring snowstorms to drive through on those trips? Uh, I'm trying to remember if we did. I imagine we probably did at some point. Um, 
Uh, yeah, with with the buses breaking down mm-hmm. more often than not, uh, we always had some challenges there. Sure. But we well, we made the best of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's yeah, we we had come back from I think it was Western New Mexico, and um, yeah, we got stuck in Raton or something like that, or, or someplace maybe Trinidad or something like that. But uh, yeah, we, we made the best of it, and um, uh, it, it was challenging to balance it, um, and. You know, like I said, I did the the best I think I did, I could with, with the situation that was there, and um, and yeah, it kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an honest assessment. Rob, what do you miss most uh, about coaching? Yeah, the the thing I miss co- most about coaching is the players yeah. for sure, um, and then likewise the relationships that you that you create with with the players and their families for for that uh, matter as well. Um, likewise, the other coaches. Um, I know it's kind of interesting when you have those coaches meetings at the end of the year and you know that there are some coaches that don't particularly care for others. And, and I really didn't have a problem with any of the coaches. Um, it, I've always tried to be cordial, at least to them, even even sometimes when they when they beat us uh, pretty badly or whatever the case might be. Uh, same thing with the umpires. I, I'm always pretty cordial to the umpires. And, and um, uh, actually, since I quit, coaching softball, I've actually started umpiring baseball and softball yeah. and have actually umpired with some of those same umpires that, that had uh, umpired our games here. And so it, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you develop those relationships over time and, and it becomes more than, than, than just what it is that you've done on the field. It becomes the type of person that you are and the type of a, a personality and the type of way that you present yourself. And, um, and that's what it is I'm, I'm hoping that our players have seen so that when they have other opportunities, whether it's coaching or teaching or whatever walk of life that they're in, they can certainly take some some uh, some perspectives out of that as well. Yeah, um, I do know that you got a really nice cobbler recipe for those birthday parties. So <laughs> you, you certainly went above and beyond in that regard. But are the relationships that you built with student athletes and your players are they different than the relationships you build with those who major in math? I think they are, mostly because when you have a student athlete, you're you're with them, uh, especially in season, twenty plus hours a week. You're you're with them a lot, mm-hmm. and so you definitely get to know them. You get to know some of their little idiosyncrasies uh, about them. Uh, you definitely know when they're in a good mood, when they're in bad mood, uh, and you and you try to cater to them in in whatever mood that they're in. Uh, because you want to try to get the best out of them when when they're in practice, when they're in the classroom, when they're on the field. And and so those relationships are definitely fostered more so just because you're around them more. Uh, Not to say that the relationships that you have with your math students or our math students aren't aren't those that foster, but of course you you see them three times a week. Uh, You'll see them a little bit more often if they happen to come to your office hours and things like that, but you don't really develop that type of relationship with your with your academic students as you would with your student athletes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with all the years you have now of coaching baseball, softball, and even umpiring, um, how does math uh, work its way into those endeavors? Yeah. Like with umpiring, let's just kind of start there with umpiring. Um, of course, there's all these different techniques of where it is that you're supposed to stand, how it is that you're supposed to, to stand, and where it is that you're supposed to be looking at, and so on. Um, but you definitely can use geometry and trigonometry with regard to trying to figure out where the ball is when it crosses the plate. There's no yeah. doubt about that piece. Um, 
when you, when you take a look at other aspects in, in softball, for that matter, you really have to think much more quickly than when you're coaching baseball. Just because the, the field is smaller, the game goes faster, you can get more pitches in there during the course of, of a matter of an inning um, that would happen in softball, yeah. you'll, you'll probably still be just in the top half of an inning in baseball where you have a whole inning done in softball. And so you, you really have to think on, on be on top of your game. So it's, it's, it's not only the math side, but it's also a logic side. So it's kind of a puzzle that you're trying to put sure. together. And um, you have to think two, three, four steps in advance. You have to have your players ready so that if you have a pinch runner or want to have a pinch runner there, that they're ready to go so that they have the mentality uh, to be, okay, I'm going to be called upon to be able to go run or a pinch hitter, whatever the case might be, right. or have your pitchers ready to go and have your players all mentally ready to go. And so, you, so you're looking at it on a logistics standpoint, uh, which is not so much mathematical, but it is kind of a, deduct, a deductive type of a process. Get that analytical side of the brain going. Exactly. Sure. Yep. Did you ever try to do like predictive analytics or what is it like sabermetrics where you're, you're trying to, uh, what's the baseball term? It's like wins above replacement. So like if you're a, if you and I are both first basemen, they put all these stats together and if Rob's a better player than me, but I'm his replacement, he's only like 1.5 wins above replacement or something like that. Sure. But did you ever do much of that? We never got in that deep as all at all. It is pretty deep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, because because your your data sets are going to be relatively small um, compared to the professional players where they have 600 at bats a year, yeah. we're talking about 150 at bats a year, maybe. Uh, so so you don't really have a whole lot there to be able to work with to to do something like that as far as some some sport data analytics. Um, we would we would do our traditional um, traditional scouting reports and things like that, and as descriptive as some of the scouting reports are excuse me some of the as descriptive some of the play-by-plays are uh where they can tell you exactly you say okay line or base hit down the left field line or whatever sometimes they'll say just base hit and doesn't tell you where you're at where the, where the base hit was at you can really get some of those types of things off of there uh not always of course uh, on the pitching side of things there's very limited unless we happen to be watching the game online yeah. Uh, so, so we try to do the best that we can with what, what information is available to us, but we don't have a chance to get that in-depth with our analytics. So on the, on the stat-keeping side for baseball and softball, this might be something that drives you crazy, but there's some subjectivity involved, um, whether uh, an, an error is committed or should it be a hit or, you know, the different types of rulings. Were those, one, were those things that used to your, would drive your math side of your brain crazy when you'd encounter? It, it would. And I think we've had conversations <laughs> yeah, about that before. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Alex, what were you thinking on this? Well, <laughs> the people up in the press box said that we, we took a straw poll and they said it was an error. And, and I thought it was a hit, but they said it was an error. And I said, Alex, that, that was a hit. That was a hit. What are you doing up there? Well, <laughs> we usually rule a hit. I mean, I'm not doing stats up there anymore, so I can admit it. We would usually rule a hit if it was the home team. Um, but I can remember I went to a stat-keeping session at a COSIDA event, and there was a long-time baseball SID at the University of Texas. I cannot remember his name. And he was like, you stat geeks need to quit being so tough on these kids. Just let a hit be a hit. They don't need to have all these errors. It might be the only time they ever get up to bat. And so I was probably more of a gentle scorekeeper than I think some people are. 
<laughs> but I would always have John Axtell telling me up there, regardless oh, yeah. of what I chose, was wrong. That's so. right. <laughs> yeah, I remember one stat line. It wasn't us playing, but it was Adam State, and I saw one of their box scores. And they had 21, 22 hits. It was in the low 20s. And they scored five runs. And I'm thinking, okay, there's something wrong here. Yeah. If you are having that number of base runners and only scoring five runs, uh, you don't know if there's any walks or anything like that to go along with that. You're having that number of base runners and only scoring five runs. There's something wrong here. Yeah, yeah. Well, we never had that type of discrepancy <laughs> no. here. Um, so clearly athletics is a big part of your life, and part of that is playing golf. You're, you're a multi-champion of the BB Golf Classic with the with, – um, the Simons brothers and their dad, Tom. How do you stay sharp on the course? You know what? Uh, just go out there and have some fun. Uh, don't take it too seriously. Um, but it, it, it's nice to be able to go out there and at least try a few different things as far as the type of swing. Um, and, and sometimes I'll, I'll go out there and, and try various shots because sometimes I'm under the trees more often than you'd hope. And, and so you really have to have a, uh, an idea of how to kind of shape a shot a little yeah. bit, uh, especially like punch outs and things like that. So that's always kind of fun because uh, in, you, you would hope that you would hit the fairway and hit the greens, but uh, we're not professionals. And, and uh, uh, that's why we're out there uh, at Ridgeview kind of kicking it around a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't go to the range very much at all. That's just kind of boresome, boring for me, I guess. Um, uh, but I do like to, to go out and play as much as I can, uh, try to get in, uh, try, try to make it a challenge to get in uh, a lot of holes in a short amount of time, especially if the course is kind of quiet and there's not a whole lot of people out there. Uh, so that, that kind of makes it kind of fun. Um, but yeah, just trying to practice, trying to play different courses sometimes. And so in, in traveling and being on the road a little bit, uh, I like to play different courses and uh, just, I guess, to try to see different types of things versus the, the course that we have out here at Shattern. Well, golf season's yeah. gearing up. So That's all the right. listeners, if they see Rob out at, at Ridgeview, he'll give you some lessons. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. I, I always need some more help with my swing. It's, uh, it's been atrocious my whole life. Uh, Rob, what are some of your other interests outside of work? Well, of course, golf. Sure. Um, uh, I, I play basketball. I also officiate basketball as well. So that's kind of keeps me busy, kind of yeah. keeps me out of trouble a little bit, stay in a little bit of shape. Um, and I, I guess one of the things, uh, of course, is I like to travel. Um, uh, my wife and I, we have several kids, and many of them are out of the house, and, and they're at various places throughout the country. And so, Good excuse. Right, yeah. so trying to yeah. see them as much as possible, it, that's, that's kind of fun. Uh, uh, I like driving for whatever reason. Um, again, we're, we're kind of used to this out here in western Nebraska, driving and, and not really thinking a big deal out of it or making a big deal out of it. Uh, so that's, that's kind of neat. Um, so yeah, it's, it's some of those things where I, uh, kind of enjoy them and, um, uh, I, some things I don't really enjoy. I don't really enjoy reading a whole lot. Yeah. Um, I don't read for, for pleasure, if you will. Um, but maybe it's something I'll try a little bit different. And, and once I got these questions, I started reading a book. So we, maybe we can talk about that book. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. <laughs> a any locations on your bucket list for travel? You know what? Um, I know one of the questions that you have is, is talking about the number of states. Um, oh, yeah. there, there are three states I haven't been to yet, and I'm hoping to get one of them crossed off this, this summer, and that's Alaska. Uh, Alaska, Oregon, and Delaware are the three states I haven't been to. 
Uh, so that would be kind of nice to do that. Now, would that uh, involve driving up that, uh, what, what's that highway called to go through Canada to get into Alaska? Um, the, the, is it Trans-American or? I'm not sure. I used to know this. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Is it, yeah, is it going to be a drive or a flight? It won't be a drive. Um, it would probably be uh, hopefully a cruise oh, on the inside passage that there. Uh, that's yeah. what we're kind of looking at. And uh, because we have um, uh, a few of our uh, former softball players, I still keep in contact with them. They're up in British Columbia, so it would be kind of nice to kind of tie that in there as well. Um, so that's that's one of the things there. Uh, one thing that I wouldn't mind trying to do is, is see a game in every single Major League ballpark. Yeah. Uh, i got a long ways to go on that. Um, I, let's see, been to Coors Field, obviously, been to, um, I was at former Candlestick Park when they were um, making the new one. Um, let's see, been to uh, um, Target Field, um, trying to think of some of the others. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of them mm-hmm. that, I, that I've been to, so I, I would really like to do a lot of those. Yeah, yeah that's know, a great goal. Yeah. Well, you, you, you kind of alluded to it, that we have yeah. these quick-hitting questions. Uh, so we'll maybe change one on the fly instead of a favorite book or author, since <laughs> our guest just admitted he doesn't like to read. Um, I'm going to change it to one that I do know that you like. Um, so what's a favorite candy of yours? Because Ooh. whenever you travel with Rob Stack, he's got the candy. Oh, good to yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, obviously, the one that, that is probably well, most well-known for are M&M's. Uh, in my office, I think I've got 14 or 15 M&M dispensers there. <laughs> and whenever it does, I go to Vegas, I stop at M&M World or I think I'm, well, the M&M store sure. in Vegas are on the strip. And uh, uh, the thing about it is that I don't eat M&Ms a whole lot, but I've got them there for students if they happen to come in. Another one are the, is the little bite-sized Twizzlers. Uh, those are good. There's always a favorite. Uh, so those are the types of things that I enjoy. Um, also like... Um, uh, oh, let's see, popcorn, um, mostly the uh, white cheddar popcorn, then also um, um, kettle corn. Yeah. There's, for those that, that know this um, and have been around the Loveland outlets, especially during the summer, there's a little um, popcorn stand that they set up underneath the little, little tent that's right there at those outlets. And so I usually try to stop there. I know it's a little bit more expensive, but the, but the kettle corn is pretty good. Kettle oh, corn's tough. It's tough to beat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Rob, a, a quotable piece of baseball or softball advice that translates to everyday life. Now, that one I really didn't have a, an answer for. But um, the, I guess the, the thing about that is with, with, with sports and how it, is that you re, how it is that you can relate that to everyday life is, again, do whatever it is that you can with all your effort that you can give it. Um, because... Again, when you're when you're doing something, if if you're in your work, if even if you're in your play, you you want to give it every possible effort that you can, and and that is going to resonate to those people around you. It's going to resonate to your kids if you have kids. It's going to resonate to your students, and and that's probably one of those there where um, again you can pretty much take anywhere. Yeah. Um, again, whatever it is that you're doing, give it a hundred percent. Give everything that you've got with regard to it. Um, now, sometimes you, you might be thought of as an overachiever, but that's okay. There's certainly no, nothing wrong with that. No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> okay, so we know you've been to 47 states. Of those 47, which are the, which, which, what are some of your most memorable moments from those? What, which ones have you really enjoyed visiting? Uh, Florida is, is definitely right up there. Um, 
uh, one of our children had a Disney internship uh, during her first semester, or excuse me, second semester of her freshman year at the University of Nebraska. And then she carried that forward all the way through her undergrad. Uh, she worked there in the summers and breaks. She would work down there. Uh, and so, so Disney was kind of a, of, a, of a big thing or is still kind of a big thing, big thing with our family. Um, so that's always uh, kind of a nice place to go. Um, another one, we, we took a trip when all the kids were really young. And so, again, we've got six kids going around, and I'm trying to think who, how old the youngest was, maybe two years old or something like that. And we went to see uh, one of my brothers in Arizona and then worked our way up through Vegas because the kids had never been to Vegas. Of course, they were young. They were all, I think, 12 years or younger, 12 years of age or younger. And so they really didn't understand what is all there. Um, but that was, it was kind of a long one, one that we really didn't, think the best of just because some right. of the kids were sick and in in um, the parking lot of my parking lot, the driveway of my brother's house down in Scottsdale we had our vehicle broken into and so oh that gosh. wasn't that wasn't that wasn't a good, <laughs> good experience yeah, bad memory, bad memory. <laughs> but overall it was it was it was a good experience especially as far as being on the road and we've taken many long road trips with with the family uh, driven out to Pennsylvania a couple of times, North Carolina a couple of times, uh, Florida um, several times as well. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to do some of that stuff. Sure. Well, speaking of traveling, uh, how many times have you been up to the top of Sea Hill? <laughs> probably, oh, probably about a half dozen times. Um, there's been a couple of times watching the 4th of July fireworks from yeah. up there. It is great view. Great view. You can kind of pick pick out where the neighborhoods are at and you say, oh yeah, that's yeah. over there on Ninth Street or whatever the case might be and you have them all over there. But you can get a great view of the fireworks Absolutely. from up there. Um, likewise, too, sunsets all the time, just beautiful from up, from mm -hmm. up there. And then um, uh, because you have the, the vantage point of looking right or looking north on Main Street, uh, sometimes you can see in various lights during Christmas time and things like that. And even though it's been several years since I've been up there, um, over the holidays where you have the lights that are out. Uh, yeah. uh, that's, that's a pretty nice view there as well. Yeah, always worth the trip up. Yeah, there really isn't, isn't a bad view from up there at no. all. Yeah. Okay, Rob, last one. What is one word that comes to your mind when you think of Shattern State College? One word. I would say incredible. Let's use that word. Um, and in describing that, there's just so many things that Shatner State has to offer. And then to go along with that, just outside of Shatner State, you, you take a look at, uh, as we talked about just a moment ago, take, take a look at the views, take a look at the, the environment that we have here at Shadron, and then likewise at Shatner State. You, you see all of the progressiveness that's going on. Um, and, and mostly when you, when you talk about progressiveness of an institution, you, you talk about buildings, you talk about uh, different things that are, that are happening uh, within the institution, and, and oftentimes those that are outside of the college will see it in terms of, of, of well, what new construction is going on. And there's just been so much construction yeah. just in the last five years alone. Mm -hmm. And that shows the, pro the progressiveness of the, of the college. Um, when, when you think of other things there, too, you, you think of things that are incredible in terms of what our faculty members have done. You take a look at what our students have done. 
you take a look at the, the incredible things that our, our, our staff members have done or our administration have done uh, with regard to getting this institution where it needs to be or where it is at this point. Um, there's, there's still work, obviously. Um, you know, we, we're hoping that uh, this, this building, the new math and science building, whatever the name might be, uh, we're going to try to figure that out over the next couple months. Um, we're, we're hoping that that's a hidden gem but we want, don't want to make it hidden. We want to make sure that this is one yeah. of the one of the cornerstones of uh, math and science in the Nebraska, Western Nebraska area. And so we want to make sure that we promote that that building as much as possible. It's just going to be an incredible building for sure. And uh, I think the students are really going to appreciate all the work and, and all the and all the things that they have uh, when they when they get back to, into the building in a couple of years. No doubt, it's exciting times for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Rob. We appreciate you taking the time and and chatting with us a little bit on the forecast today. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it.